We return this evening to Hebrews 12. This morning we looked at verses 1 to 3. If you didn't happen to be here, that is what I preached on. And uh, there's a, I'm not going to repeat some of the basic things that I said there about the book of Hebrews. We'll take that for granted. Um, if you need to listen to that, you can do that at your leisure. Uh, but uh, we'll begin with verse 4. Verse 4 and read through verse 13. This is God's Word. In your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you've forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you're not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet, so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. God's holy word. He bless it to all of our hearts. Let's pray. Our Father, we continue before you now and ask your gracious guidance of us by your Holy Spirit. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Dear congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, like many of you, I can recall being disciplined by my parents when I was a child. Now, some of you children might think that was like a thousand years ago, but I remember after, after being disciplined on a few occasions, having been sent to my room, lying on my bed, fuming that my parents didn't love me because they were not letting me have my way in something. And what angered me even more at those times was the certain knowledge that though I didn't like what had just happened, causing me to grump, they don't love me. They really did love me, and it truly disciplined me for my good. I couldn't shake the sense of this. I knew that, no matter how hard I tried to tell myself otherwise. And that really ticked me because I wanted to be angry at them. I wished I could say they don't love me, and I sort of would, but I knew they did. If that's true, they really love us, not always true with parents, but in many cases. If that's true of parents, imperfect as they are, how much more of our Heavenly Father, who disciplines us, though we may not like it, certainly at the time, as verse 11 says, He loves us because we're His sons and daughters. And all that He brings about in our lives has that in view. And you know it, however frustrated or put out you may feel in the midst 
of trials. And so the exhortation, we might say, of Hebrews 12 that we saw this morning continues. We were told there to press on, right? To lay aside hindrances, to look to Jesus, to learn endurance. And that exhortation continues developed in these verses with further encouragement to us that we don't faint, fret, fear, or fail. Press on. Don't faint, fret, fear, or fail. Because all of our trials are disciplined by our Father to us as His sons and daughters. Don't faint, our preacher says in in verse 4. Notice this. In your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And of course, verse 3 had said that we're to endure. We're to not grow weary and lose heart. Because tested and tried, though we may be, we've not endured the ultimate test, right? The shedding of your blood. Death. That's the ultimate test. That's what this says. Right here, verse 4, in your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. You might say, well, how does he know this? Because he's not writing it to dead people. Okay? The people that the writer is speaking to or the preacher is preaching to are alive. And thus, they haven't yet given their lives. Christ has endured the ultimate test as this book teaches time and again, and has shed His blood for you. He's made the ultimate sacrifice to end all sacrifices and to secure our eternal salvation. Many of the saints cited in chapter 11, right? That part of the great cloud of witnesses. They made that ultimate sacrifice. You think about verses 35 to 37. It talks about different ones being stoned or sawn in two or killed with the sword, right? Chapter 11 makes it very clear that saints gave their lives. They shed their blood. Many throughout church history have done so as a testimony of their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of His resurrection. That's what's being said here. You too, the preacher would make plain, you too may be called to endure such. Now think of our Hebrew friends here. They're going through many trials, but they've not yet given their lives. Mainly what they're involved in, what does he say they're involved in? Verse 4, in your struggle against sin, the same thing you're involved in. That's the focal point of your struggle. That's what you're involved in. All that you're undergoing is so that you might die to sin and live to righteousness. Wait, every difficulty of my life is the Lord's discipline in this way? Yes. And the enemy would, sometimes people say to me, well, you know, in this circumstance, does the enemy want me to flee, go away, or does God want me to come to him? And the answer is yes. In any given circumstance, the enemy would have you flee, go away from God. God would have you come to him. And rest and trust in Him. Look to Jesus. Well, keep fighting sin. That's what we're saying here. Don't faint. Draw near to God. Don't give up. 
even if it means your death, and we are to die daily, right? There's a sense in which we're always dying, Paul says. But you're to have that ethos that Luther did. This is what Luther meant. This is the the attitude of Luther when he said, let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. Luther's saying, I'm willing to give up everything but God and His truth, I'll defend that. I'll defend that. So don't faint. You've not yet shed your blood. You're yet in the struggle against sin. It may be hard. It may be difficult. It always has been throughout the history of the church. Don't fret. Now that was a quick one point, right? But I've got four. Don't fret. Brothers and sisters, all of your struggles, health, money, relational struggles, fears of of war, of societal upheaval, all should be received as a child receives the discipline of his father. Don't fret when God reproves or chastens you. You know, boys and girls, you the little... When the dog bites, when the bee stings, when you're feeling sad, what do you do? Well, don't... Don't fret. Adults, when you have job difficulties, health puzzlements. And here our preacher quotes Proverbs 3, 11, and 12, as well as alludes to Deuteronomy 8. It's very easy to fret. It's so easy to fret. To sort of accept the challenges of your life, but to grump about them because things aren't going as you'd like. You all know what that's like, don't you? Things aren't going as you'd like. And so, yeah, I, with gritted teeth, I, I accept this, but I'm really fretting. Now, let me say this. It isn't fretting to pour out your complaint before the Lord. That's what you're supposed to do. You say, what, what? Say again. Well, the Psalms are not full of sin. What I mean by that is when the psalmist says things to the Lord like... I am pursued. Help me. Destroy my enemy. None of that is fretting. You say, well, what is fretting? Well, what you and I do. Talking to everybody else but God. Things are going badly. Let's be honest. It's often the case that when things are going badly, we talk to everybody but God. You know this with people. Somebody does something you don't like. Somebody offends you. And many people, many people who call themselves Christians will go to every other person before they'll go to that person, you know, and say, you offended me. And that's sin. The Bible is very clear about that. That's wrong. And it's wrong to just go to everybody else and complain about your lousy life and not talk to God. You can come before God, as the psalmist does a lot of times, and say, I can't take it anymore. God, this is just too much. The psalmist says, I mean, he says it much more poetically. But he says that. So that's not fretting. But that's also not your problem. Your problem or my problem isn't that we pray too much. God wants you to come and tell him. God wants you to talk to him. Right? But we fret. 
it's particularly tempting to murmur that God doesn't love me. This is what Israel did during her wilderness wanderings. Our, our Hebrew friends who had embraced Christ only to get a lot of opposition. It's all through the book. They had that temptation. To say, God doesn't love me. Israel did this during the wilderness wanderings, right? It's very tempting to give way to self-pity and all the murmuring that accompanies it in times of trial. It's easy, as verse 5 says, to forget that we're sons. What does verse 5 say? You've forgotten the word of encouragement that speaks to you as sons. Don't make light of the Lord's discipline. Don't lose heart when He rebukes you. Now, notice that. It's easy to either be weary when reproved by God. Oh, not again. That's losing heart. That's losing heart when tough things are going on. Okay? Or just to make light of it. I knew I had a parishioner once who would say and thought that this was like a great thing to say. This was a good way of her Christian to receive trials and, trials and testings. Ain't no thing. You see, I'm not getting upset by it. Well, but you're also not learning the lesson that God intends you to learn. Do you, you understand that? On the one hand, you don't want to lose heart. Think of this when you talk to your children. When you discipline your children, you don't want to discipline them in a way that just discourages them. Nor do you want to discipline them in a way that they say, let me be blunt. I was once disciplined by my father. I had directly disobeyed something he told me. Don't do this. And I did it. And he spanked me. And I was walking out of the room. And I was still rebellious. And I threw my head over my shoulder. And I said, that didn't even hurt. And all I remember is being pulled back into the room. <laughs> that was the wrong thing to say. I was making light of the discipline. I wasn't learning the lesson that he intended for me to learn. And he had to give more discipline. What should be our response? Neither making light of it or being discouraged. But a loving, fruitful taking to heart the discipline. A dying to sin. This should be our response to discipline. As we deal with our, our tendency to self-pity and all the murmuring that accompanies it in times of trial. And again, we're calling this fretting, murmuring, fretting. And it's not talking to God, it's talking to others. Or when we do talk to God, say, saying in so many words, God, you don't love me. As we deal with our self-pitying murmur of God doesn't love me, and know that the world, the devil, and the flesh are ready to assist you in that, what does verse 6 say? Because the Lord disciplines those He loves. Don't make light. Don't lose heart. Don't do either one of those. The Lord disciplines those He loves. All of His sons He punishes. Chastening discipline is not evidence of hatred but of love. Again, you know this with your children. Even as negligence or abuse, either of those, is not evidence of love. So proper discipline signals love. We discipline our children, for example, when they run out into the street. Now, what, what, think about it. That's a good example. What's the whole point there? My child runs out into the street. And why do I discipline them? 
Because it's very clear. I mean, that's a very clear case. It's a, that's a simple kind of case. And it shows it well. I'm trying to keep them from further damage. So a modest amount of pain in, in, to be placed upon them, whether that's, you know, go to your room now, you can't play, whatever it might be. Is so they won't get run over by a car and killed. So, I mean, the kid might think, well, my parent doesn't love me. I, you know, I just ran out into the street and he, he got all, my dad or my mom, they got all up in my face. Telling me, you can't do that. You can't go into the street. Well, they don't do that because they hate you. They do that because they love you. To spare them greater pain. So too with our Heavenly Father. Who disciplines and chastens all that he loves. These are strong words here. Verse 6. The, the word here in the, in the Greek is what says uh, he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. The word there is really scourges. Meaning this discipline can really hurt. It can hurt. Now again discipline that hurts too much is discouraging, but discipline that doesn't hurt enough doesn't convey the message. And again, the people of the world know this. They speak contemptuously of it. What do they say about a judge who gives a light sentence to a serious offender? He gave that man a... Right? Isn't that what people of the world say? He gave that man a slap on the wrist. And is that, is that a, When people say that, do they mean that's a good thing? No, they mean he should have been given a serious sentence. And he was given a slap on the wrist. So what we're saying here is God does not put on you that which will destroy you or discourage you. We know from 1 Corinthians 10, 13 that he will not put on you more than you can bear. And he will with it provide a way of escape. And the way of escape is to Jesus. Look to Jesus. That's always the way of escape. He is the way, the truth, and the life. But on the other hand, He does give what's needed so that we hear Him and we learn. We've received discipline from failing, faltering fathers, verse 9 says. How much more should we receive it from the Father of lights? The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So saints, don't fret. Don't faint. Don't fret. Don't fear. Our third point. Don't fear in what the Father may give. What if I've had people say this as I go about, especially these days, and speak in different churches, give conferences. People say to me, what if we have to become martyrs? And I always want to say, what do you want me to say there? I'm not sure what you want me to say. Are you, do you want me to say as a church historian that that could happen? Yes. There's no guarantee of anything like that. Yes, we may have to, for the, for the, for the sake of the faith, we may have to give a witness that costs our lives. Yes. If we do, it's all, so as verse 10 says, we may share in His holiness. Look at verse 10. God disciplines us for our good that we may share in His holiness. Don't fear. Understand this. 
The preacher grants that when you're going through trials, it's not fun. Verse 11, right? No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. We're not spiritual masochists who ask for trials or who say in the midst of trials, Lord, hit me harder. No. We don't do that. And we don't regard, and we're not asked to regard our difficulties as a barrel of monkeys. It's like, this is so much fun. I want more trouble. No. And some of you just now are really hurting. And you need to know that you have in Jesus, and this book tells you this, a sympathizing great high priest who is able to be touched with the feelings of your infirmities, who we said this morning prays for you now, and who prayed for the cup of suffering to pass, and in agony and distress cried out in his forsakenness. He's right here with you by his spirit. He's right here tonight with you by his spirit. He's not ashamed, Hebrews 2 has that beautiful phrase, he's not ashamed to call you his brother. We're often ashamed of each other. We're ashamed of ourselves. He's not ashamed to call you brother and to fully identify with you. He came below and he suffered to save you. Even if no one else understands you, he does. Sometimes you may feel like nobody understands me. And maybe, maybe a lot of people around you don't. I mean, but he does. Learn not to fear discipline. To have a kind of what's next mentality. Because it brings, verse 11 says, the peaceful fruits of righteousness to those who have been trained by such discipline. Learn, in fact, fact, to fear and to hate your sin more than suffering. This This is our real problem. And this is what we need to learn in all our difficulties. We need to learn to hate our sin more than the suffering. Charles Haddon Spurgeon put it right, and you know, I say this, and there's a part of me that shrinks back from saying it. I don't even want to say it, but I know it's true. He said as he meditated on this truth that we need to fear and be concerned with our sin more than our suffering. He said, 10,000 pounds of suffering are to be preferred to one ounce of sin. If you're a believer, you know that's true, but boy... It's kind of scary. But he's right. He's right. Learn not to ill regard your discipline. To have a kind of here we go again attitude about it. As if you didn't need it. As if God doesn't love you. As if you're tired of it. Besides all this, if we have no discipline, no chastening, verses 7 and 8 say, We're not sons. We're illegitimate children. Now get the import of this. Illegitimate children are those who are not being groomed to receive the inheritance. I mean, this doesn't sort of impact our world today as strongly as it did in the past. But you think about a character like Edmund in King Lear, who is the illegitimate son of Gloucester. And he is a nasty guy because he's not going to receive an inheritance. Illegitimate children are not heirs. They have no inheritance. They have no glory of heaven awaiting them. That's that's the way he's using that. They don't need to be disciplined with the care given to sons and daughters who are legitimate, who need to be properly groomed, fitted 
to receive the inheritance of the coming age and to rightly manage and dispose of it. We are full legitimate sons and daughters and as such should receive discipline because we will inherit heaven itself and we need to be groomed and fitted for such. Understand that in your trials that produce holiness, verse 10, you're being prepared for the coming world wherein dwells righteousness. You're being in a sense weaned from sin. So learn to kiss the rod as a token of God's love for you. Fear not, receive the discipline that readies you to dwell with God forever. So finally, don't fail. Having been encouraged not to faint or fret or fear, I say this word to you. Don't fail. And you won't by His grace. This particularly takes up again those earlier athletic metaphors of running, of boxing, as we see in verses 12 and 13. That's what's in view when it says, Strengthen feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet. So the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Go forward, in other words, to the finish line. Let the lame not be disjointed, but healed. You might feel or really have become disenabled in the race. Now we're back to the metaphor of the race. And in the Christian life that you're now living, you might right now, maybe you feel like you're lame or maybe you really are in a sense. Maybe some, some really difficult things have happened to you. And you're sort of, think of uh, this marathon, you're kind of limping along a bit here, right? That's the picture. And what are you being encouraged to do? You're being encouraged to keep going forward, to press forward. It will heal you. The leg will heal. Healing comes, I don't know if we have any physical therapists here. I spoke of masochists earlier. They're, no, I won't say. I have good friends who are physical therapists. I always joke, them, joke with them. As well as my dentist friends. I'm going to the dentist tomorrow. Just a regular checkup. But... As sadists, you know, they like to mm, inflict pain on people. Um, but ex- healing comes through exercising something formerly disjointed or broken, right? If you've disjointed or broken something, you want to properly exercise it so you can bring it back to health. We tend to favor an, uh, an injured limb. That's, that's, we speak in that way. So we've injured a limb and we say, I'm favoring this, meaning I'm not putting weight on it. I'm putting weight on the other. But we can't, and, and there's a, and, and by the way, let me make it clear here in what I'm saying. This, this is a picture, this is a metaphor. I am offering no medical advice. This is on my legal counsel, make sure. Now the, but I'm not offering any medical, I don't offer medical advice. Go to your doctor if you need medical advice, okay? Now that we got that clear. But we tend to favor an injured limb, not to put weight on it. It's sort of like withdrawing into inactivity after a heart attack or a stroke. When measured, vigorous activity is good for you. Maybe you had a stroke, maybe you had a heart attack, and it's like, I don't want it to happen again, so I'm just going to kind of sit here. But you, don't, you shouldn't just sit there. You've got to do, again, this is not my medical advice, but <laughs> I'm, I'm quoting the kinds of things that doctors say. Make a continuing effort in your race, in the struggle against sin, even if you are lame. Stop making excuses for sin and pursue holiness. Use the means of grace wholeheartedly in your battle against sin 
and your pursuit of righteousness. You'll not fail, fear not. Victory awaits. Partially here, perhaps, but certainly wholly there. So, verse 12, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. It's sort of, you can think of like lifting your hands like you, when you're approaching the finish line, right? Keep, keep moving here. Don't, don't fall out of the race because you say, I'm lame. It might hurt a bit. It might be tender. You might be slower for a while. But you do need to come to put some weight on that lame leg, whether you just think it is or it really is. Put some weight on it so that it can be properly healed. That which is disjointed can be brought back to health. And you're tempted in such occasions to quit the race altogether, right? As were the afflicted Jews to whom this was written. As are you when you hear the enemy taunting, the enemy taunting you to quit. Um, my son used to play this video game. And uh, he played all sorts of video games. There was one with a... Uh, it was World War II. And they were on the Pacific Islands. But it was interesting. They had this... This Tokyo Rose character, and now those of you, some of you may not know who Tokyo Rose was, but she was a, a Japanese uh, woman who broadcast to the American troops to discourage them, to dispirit them. It was propaganda. And the character in this is saying to the Americans who are fighting, give up, GI, you'll be a hero, but you'll be dead. So it's telling them, give up. So, I mean, my point is this. You can, the enemy shouts that at you, give up. You'll be a hero, but you'll be dead. You need to keep going. You need to keep fighting. Don't give way to the taunts of the enemy to quit. Our Lord never quit. Back to verses 3 and 4. But he shed his blood for us. So that you might know his strength as he gives it by his spirit and the means of grace. So you too, looking to Jesus, should press on. Beloved, don't faint, fret, or fear. You have his promise and aid that you'll not fail. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this word. I pray you would take it home to each of our needy hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.